Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? How many things turn out in a particular way because we decide that that's how it's going to go? So for instance, I was talking with a client and he was telling me about how he's the CEO of a company. He was telling me about how he's got a series of meetings coming up that he wanted my help with and help in facilitating because these were going to be really hard meetings. And I said to him, well, so that's interesting. What about these meetings feels to you like it's going to be hard? And as we pulled it apart, there wasn't really anything that was so hard. They were going to take a lot of work. And it certainly might be that people might not agree. And so it got me thinking about how often we think things are going to be hard and then they turn out to be hard in part because we make them be hard. So I was also doing a conflict management webinar with an organization. And one of the things that kept coming up was how many self-limiting beliefs we have, beliefs that limit ourselves about conflict. And the reality is, if my husband and I are going to have a conversation, <laughs> there may well be some conflict. We have conflict all the time in life. Really, it's just about I think one thing and you think another thing. The question is, how can we have healthy conflict? How can we have conflict that moves the ball down the court? How can we have a conversation? Maybe it doesn't even have to be conflict-y, but how can we have a conversation in which your perspective gets revealed, my perspective gets revealed, and then we get to come to a resolution that's someplace in the middle. And this brings me right to my guest for today. And as our conversation evolves, you'll get the thread. So I'm really excited to introduce you to Wayne Brown. Wayne has been called a nomad and an adventurer, and it is true. He calls himself a knowledge broker, and he is passionate about traveling the world and about meeting people in places that aren't always on the top 10 places to visit. For instance, right now, we're talking with him in Shanghai, although Shanghai might be on my top 10 list of places to visit. 
at the age of just 23, Wayne built his first home. It was the same year that he started his first business. My hunch is that was in Australia, but we'll find out a little bit more about that. Fast forward mm, a few years, and his second book is now scheduled for release next February. That's February 2023. And he's just been nominated as Executive Coach of the Year by CEO Today Magazine Plus. Congratulations and welcome to the show, Wayne. Thank you, Janine. Great to be here and looking forward to our conversation. You touched on so many points in your introduction there that we could talk for hours just on those those points, <laughs> I'm sure. So I'm very much looking forward to it. All right. Well, let's get started the way that I often start with guests, which is Wayne. Tell me something that you have noticed that people are not paying attention to either consciously or unconsciously, and what the cost is of that inattention. There's so many topics. <laughs> right, there's a big, long list. So pick one that you would like to talk about. <laughs> well, I would keep it somewhat topical, I guess, and say leadership and the shift for leaders to be able to transition into this 21st century. And the method in how they go about that is becoming more and more challenging. and there are companies out there that are really proactive. Kudos to them. But the majority, the majority of companies really lagging behind this transition. And the consequences of that, where I see that we will have major challenges in the coming five to 10 years, because change is not going to slow down. It's exponential and it's going to continue that way and maybe even get faster. So I really see this as an area where organizations and leaders need to pay more attention to. Leadership is one of my favorite things to talk about. And this idea of 21st century leadership and what is called for now, Wayne, you and I are more or less the same age. And so when we were coming up in the world of work, leadership was very different than what it is today. And when I was a young pup starting out, in the world, essentially, the way that I worked, the way that I was taught to work was keep my head down, shut up, don't rock the boat, be happy you get a paycheck. If your boss says something mean to you, well, try and just slough it off. And that kind of command and control style of leadership, that kind of often micromanaging style of leadership, that kind of sometimes toxic kind of leadership, it's not being supported in many workplaces, unfortunately. In some, it's alive and well. But in many workplaces that are beginning to understand what is needed as we move into this 21st century, more and more into this 21st century, it's a very different style of leadership. So I want to probe with you both. What do we say to those leaders that are still stuck in 20th century or maybe even in 19th century style leadership and where their organization, often these are large enterprise organizations and they feel like, you know what? We don't have to care. What do you say to them? I would hope that people would say bye-bye. <laughs> but the reality is that I don't think organizations are naive 
to the fact that they have leaders that are acting in that way. I just had a guest on my own podcast recently. We were talking about the dark triad. You mentioned toxic leadership. The situation that we see a lot of today is that there are many toxic leaders out there still. As much as the educated leaders amongst us know that they have to change, that's just not always the case. And the reality is that over their career, there's a good chance they've been successful. They tend to rise to the top because of that. Right. You treat people like crap. You're going to have a big impact on those people, but you're also going to get work out of them. You're going to burn through them quickly and they are going to be a shell of their former selves when they leave you. But if you don't care about the humans, if you're willing to just churn and burn through humanity, you can get a lot of work product out of people by being really crappy to them. Yeah. And you become successful. It is unfortunately true. And so the organizations are stuck with that dilemma. If they say goodbye to those leaders, then they do leave a hole. Unless they have done their preparation and they have the right planning in place, but it's not a simple set and forget approach. It takes a lot of work to then reculture the organization because what happens is the people under those toxic leaders are also forming and shaping their personalities, their characteristics to accommodate those leaders. Now, some of the people, the younger generations, <laughs> bless them. Yes, bless them taking matters more into their own hands and not tolerating it. But you and I, we come through the baby boom generation and we tolerated it, just as you said in the opening. We tolerated it. And there's still a lot of us in the industry that are tolerating these toxic triad leaders, unfortunately. And I think all of us humans, we fall into myopia. That's sort of how it is here in the US. So that's how it is in Asia. And you have been doing work extensively in Asia now for 20 years, 15 years, and in Europe before that, and still ping-ponging back and forth. So you have a much more global perspective about the willingness of young people to say, my life is too short, my life is too important, it's the only one I've got as far as I know, and I'm not willing to put up with this kind of treatment at work. I think we in the U.S. tend to think of that as a U.S. phenomenon. Is it? Well, not my experience, at least. I'm sure there's cultures where this may differ. Just to go back to an earlier comment you made, thank you for saying 20 years. The, the reality <laughs> is it's actually 45. So. <laughs> <laughs> that gives you an indication of how gray my hair might look. But there's a lot of shift within the demographics worldwide. And the Gen Z and even the younger generation that are coming through, surprisingly and scary as that sounds, there's a younger generation not far away from hitting the workforce, younger than Gen Z. And they are even less tolerant of poor behavior in the workplace. So if we thought it was bad, with Gen Z or Gen Z, just buckle our seatbelts, friends. Precisely. Yeah, precisely. So I feel for my area of focus is on executive talents. So leaders by another name, but people that are nominated in corporations as potential high performance employees that are going to progress to the next level. 
And the challenge I see for them in particular in the majority, now I'm talking, I'm generalizing, but in the majority of organizations, the challenge I see for them is that their role model is that leader of the 20th century who hasn't been able to transition properly themselves. And so as these new leaders come forward, they're going to adopt the wrong methodology, style, mannerisms, and they will struggle. Now, hopefully, we as humans are very adaptable. And hopefully, as time transpires, there will be a gravitational shift across humanity towards this new world. But that's going to take time. And the problem that we have is we're against the clock. So in history, we haven't experienced this before. There's been major transitions in periods of major transition in history, but not with the same context as where we are today, with technology really leading the fore in terms of driving this change process through organizations. I was just going to finish that by saying, and as a result, companies are having to reinvent themselves quicker and, and faster year on year. And unfortunately, many of the organizations are struggling. It's an interesting phenomenon when we talk about the speed of change and when we talk about time and we are all now living through what is hopefully the transition stage from COVID being a pandemic to being an epidemic, something that we just are living with, like the flu. And I was leading organization down in San Diego, a group of leaders in a very large organization through a process. And we were looking at this idea of 21st century leadership. And one of the things that came up is that it feels like time is in fact moving faster now. And I think that part of that is, of course, we are all aging and there is that phenomenon as you age feels like time moves faster, but also the role of technology in our lives. You know, our ubiquitous cell phones, the modern day cell phone, not our old friend, the Blackberry, but the modern day cell phone, because the smartphone came out in 2007. And when I realized that, I was like, that's recent, relatively speaking. And it has become so much of a driver in our world. Many people use it as their alarm clock. And then it's the first thing that they look at when they wake up. They don't say hello to anybody that might be in bed with them. They don't say hello to pets or children or they're on their phones. And then that becomes a driver of often how the day goes and now in the age of AI and in the way that data is sort of taking over our lives in so many ways, this concept of a 21st century leader, I think is more and more important and relevant. I have some things that I've distinguished as key in that. And I'm curious, Wayne, for you, when you think about a 21st century leader, what are some of the key components of that that make it different from a 19th or a 20th century leader? We look at a number of elements, but probably the leading area that we believe is you need to become a catalyst leader. 
Now, we need to define that a little bit. So by saying catalyst, what we're really meaning, I'm sure most people think of catalyst of change, and that's part of it. So the leader going forward definitely needs to have agility, adaptability, but it's much broader than that. They need to be able to, as Brene Brown talks about, be vulnerable, become transparent. And to do that requires the acknowledgement that they don't have all the answers. Oh, but Wayne, we hate that. We hate (laughs) us humans. We hate saying, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Exactly. Oh, it makes us feel so fragile and so maybe incompetent. It threatens our sense of self. It does. And our brain is geared for survival predominantly, and it doesn't like uncertainty. No. And (laughs) that's one of the few things that neuroscientists agree on at the moment as as we (laughs) learn more and more about the brain is that we don't like uncertainty. We salivate over somebody coming to us with an absolute fact that we can bank on, right? And for leaders, this is going to be a real struggle for them to be able to say, you know what, I don't have all the answers. I don't even know all the questions to ask to get the answers. And that's why I need you, my brilliant team. Absolutely the point. So that's the one thing that they can do. They can still bring the right people together and use that collective genius of the group to find the solutions they need. But that's going to take a letting go of ego. It's going to take a whole different dynamic than what the 20th century leader grew up with. And that's why it's going to be so challenging. Yeah. And the way that men and women are socialized, which also connects to neurobiology. I mean, our brains are actually set up differently which is how I got into neurobiology to begin with. I was like, back in my 30s, I decided, all right, I should probably do this get married thing. And so need to have some conversations with men. And literally, I thought, are their brains different? Why is a man doing this? And then I did some research and was like, yes, their, their brains are different. And We are, of course, also socialized differently. And certainly in different countries, it's different. In different communities, it's different. And we are socialized differently. And one of the ways in which we are socialized differently is often that women, young girls, are encouraged to be in touch with our feelings and to be able to be vulnerable, to be able to say, I need help, or even I don't know. Men, young men, boys are often not socialized in that way. And so not only are we coming up against 150 years of corporate teaching, we're also coming up against biology and how we've been socialized over the course of our life. So as somebody who often works more one-on-one than I do with clients, how do you help men in particular wrestle with this difficult idea of being willing to say, I don't know, or being willing to show something about themselves that society might say is weak. 
Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> it always <laughs> depends on the context of the scenario you're dealing with. To answer that question in general, what I would say is I normally work with people to help them look to the future. So by saying, where were we 10 years ago and what's the likely situation we're going to be in 10 years from now and allow them to start to form their own realisation that 10 years ago is not what's happening today and the most probable likelihood <laughs> 10 years in the future is again going to be extremely different. And your example of the smartphone journey over the last 15 years is a good one. It's a nice illustration of the changes that have occurred and will very subtly point out the convergence of technology is in an era that has never been in the past. And as a result, things are going to continue to change rapidly. And so unfortunately or fortunately, <laughs> we weren't born with that S painted on the chest and we have to learn how to adapt and adjust even though we may not like it. Yeah. <laughs> so once we have that realization, then we'll start to work with people to say, you know, is change really something that you don't like? Because when you start to get into that topic, you can explore a whole subset of different aspects where people realize that change is an everyday occurrence with them. And it's not really change that they don't like, it's the lack of control over the change that really becomes the biggest issue for them, which brings us full circle back to letting go of being the owner of all the solutions. I think about these companies that have done such a masterful job in moving through this period of COVID. You know, I remember a little more than two and a half years ago when the CEO of Airbnb came out with a statement saying, you know, obviously our business model is in trouble at the moment. And I have no idea what we're going to do. And I know that we are going to figure it out together. So hang in there and stick with us. And yes, it may mean some layoffs and we're going to do everything that we can to have it not impact, have it impact the least number of people in the easiest sort of ways for people to deal with and move people around. And we're not sure what we're going to do, but we're going to get through it. And then things like Elon Musk tweeting out, I love freedom. And we are laying off half of our workforce and the other half of our workforce who's staying is going to have to be in the office all the time and work 85 hours a week, even if it means sleeping at your desk. Yay, freedom. I mean, pardon my French, but what the fuck are you talking about? And talk about a 20th or a 19th century leader being out of touch with his workers, with the climate. I mean, people, including myself, are shutting down their Twitter accounts in protest with what he's doing with the organizational culture, not to mention the people. And there you can now buy this blue check mark. And so a company bought some like at real Coca-Cola or something like that, and they bought the blue check mark and they put out a tweet saying, we're doing a poll, who would like us to put cocaine back in Coca-Cola? And 
Coca-Cola, of course, the actual company, the Coca-Cola company, went berserk because it's not them. There's never been cocaine in Coca-Cola. But you have these disruptors that are coming into the marketplace that supposedly have been verified because they've spent money and it is totally diluting the brand. And this used to be a place where people who wanted the truth to get out there. I mean, this is where Black Lives Matter started. And this was the home of positive social disruptors. And it has taken a sea change turn in less than a month. So it's astounding to me. I don't even remember what my point was <laughs> with that tirade. But I'm going to tie it back into when we think about the role of AI and how fast things are changing and that many more companies that used to be able to be transactional. What do you need? I can give you that. Do you need a pair of shoes? We sell shoes are now having to be relationship-based. And so if I have to be relationship-based with my customers, I have a whole new skill set that I have to develop or I get to develop, and it's putting then pressure on workplaces to move from being transactional to being relationship-based. And I think that that's one of the key transformers that's easy for people to see and make the connection to. I liked your topics, by the way. <laughs> so this whole point between transactional, relational, there's a lot of theory and a lot of research done on the whole concept of value creation, right? So the transactional, going back to the 80s, and we have Michael Porter's model, and etc. And then on the other side, even earlier, surprisingly, coming out of Scandinavia, was this concept of stakeholder value creation. And the premise behind that was there was that transactional element as well for the stakeholders, but also the need to build the relationship with the stakeholder and not only rely on creating value through product or service. So it's been around a long time. To your point, what I think is now happening is the importance is escalating and accelerating. And for sure, not many businesses of the future, and this is Wayne Brown's prediction, not many <laughs> businesses of the future will remain as they were 20 years ago. They will have to become more online savvy and learn how to, and I'll use the word intentionally, manipulate the social space to do business. And leaders of my era, that's not their forte. That is not our forte, yes. <laughs> so the younger generation definitely have a base to fill. And, and that's where I see they will drive that future in that direction and make this whole shift trend sustainable. I don't see this transition being a fad. I see it as something that's here to stay and we have to get on board with it, like it or not, if we actually want to be in business. Now, of course, when we start talking about ethics and doing things that are right for humanity, that's a whole different subject. And we should all be conscious of that and the risk that may exist with the AI aspects. 
And when we think about Gen Z and then the generation coming after them, these generations care an enormous amount about not only what is your company doing and will it be a great place for me to be, but what are you doing to make the world a better place? The social justice, environmental issues, the whole socially responsible investing, this whole lens has become even more magnified. And so what is our place in the world? And the idea of wellness, I think, is really taking a very interesting shift. And I don't know if it would have happened without COVID. And the highlight that COVID has put on our mental health, on the levels of burnout that many people are dealing with, and then also the organization's responsibility to take that on. The World Health Organization moved burnout from a personal phenomenon to an organizational phenomenon. So it's no longer that I am burnt out. It is now you burnt me out. And then when we lay that on top of the environmental and the social change aspect of what organizations are expected to be, the call then to leaders and leadership is even more complex. So I just threw out a big thing, but I'm also noticing the clock and I'm trying to be trying to be better, y'all. I really am. I'm trying to get our podcasts to be shorter and therefore more consumable so that you don't have to spend 57 hours with me. So is there anything in that, Wayne, that you would like to respond to? Or as we start thinking about wrapping up, anything that we haven't touched on that you would really love to bring into the conversation? Yeah, just quickly to finish off that point you you raised, what we see is a lot of organizations today trying to get a rating for the ESG, to your point. Now, unfortunately, there's very little substance for the majority of those companies behind that rating. They have to do a lot of work to get it, but is that transferring and cascading through the organization? Into people's day-to-day experience. Exactly. The jury is still out, I have to say. Hopefully it will, but it's early days, but that's the direction we're going. The thing I would like to say to all people, if you're in a leadership capacity, don't go alone. Don't go it alone. It's not sustainable and it's not the right answer. You need to be working with other people, whether it's your team. I would highly recommend you have advisors, mentors, coaches, whoever it is, because it's impossible for an individual in today's business landscape to know everything that they need to know. And therefore, my point, don't go it alone. I love that. And it makes me think a friend who is very involved in animal rescue sent me this email from the county of Los Angeles. So I am here in Southern California in the county of Los Angeles. And it was an email sent out by the LA County Department of Animal Care and Control. And they were talking about all of the different things that the staff at the Department of Animal Care and Control have to deal with on a week by week or month by month basis and things like having to remove animals from unsafe conditions. We live in an area of mudslides and rain events and fire events. And so there are often needs to set up safe places for animals to go. 
getting calls about animal attacks, all kinds of different things that they need to be able to respond to quickly. And so it went on for paragraphs about all the different kinds of things that they have to deal with. And then there was this line, the Department of Animal Care and Control was able to meet all of these challenges because of the investment that we have made in developing our leaders in our departments. Our commitment to leadership development over the last five years has gradually improved our ability to establish strong teamwork, develop individuals' extreme ownership for meeting our mission, and identify and grow leaders for advancement within the department. And I was like, holy cow, that's beautiful. And I think more and more organizations, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think about the Department of Animal Care and Control needing to really invest in their leaders. And they are. And they've got different partnerships with different organizations. And they're really making this investment so that their leaders are learning the skills together to bring them into the 21st century. So, Wayne, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing of your brilliance and your 45 years of knowledge and leadership and of really this idea of 21st century leadership. I had like three calls in a week, several weeks ago, where this idea kept coming up and you were one of those calls and it crystallized things within me as well. And so thank you for also contributing to my own growth. It's been a pleasure, Janine. Thank you. And I hope your listeners got something from the conversation. I've enjoyed it. They always do. And listeners, if you would like to get in touch with Wayne, please go to our show notes and all the ways that you can find him are there. And leave us a note. Let us know what you liked. And on the shocking possibility that was there anything that you didn't like, let us know that too. All right. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I'm beginning to think I'm beginning